Hey everybody, welcome to the Take Care of Women podcast with Sherry DeBias. I'm your host, Cody. Sherry is a women's health specialist with 30 plus years of experience. She taught at Loma Linda University for seven years, has been in private practice for 25 years, and currently runs one of the biggest women's health physical therapy clinics in the US. On this podcast, we dive into topics about women's health with the goal to educate and improve the quality of life of women. Here's a snippet from today's show. I have a lady right now, um, she had ethmoid cancer, which is, you know, up in her sinus region here. And um, it's really interesting because her whole face just filled up with lymphedema. She had radiation um, scarring that occurred and she really couldn't chew or swallow very well. She really couldn't function. And thank goodness, you know, a friend of a friend told her, hey, you need to see a physical therapist. And literally in one visit, she came back to me and said, oh my gosh, I'm feeling so much better. Three visits later, now she can chew without pain. So we're just looking at the practical everyday aspects of how does a um, physical therapist intervene um, musculoskeletally, we know the system better than any other healthcare provider, just because that's our focus. So we're really reaching out to our cancer centers, our oncologists, our radiation um, physicians to actually say, hey, let us be part of this and let us intervene quickly and soon in the progression pattern so that we can make a difference for people long term. If you want more content like this, please hit the subscribe button. We do content like this weekly. This show is sponsored by Lake City Physical Therapy. Lake City Physical Therapy specializes in pelvic floor, breast cancer oncology, and women's sports medicine physical therapy. To learn more, go to lakecitypt.com. Again, that's lakecitypt.com. All right, let's start today's show. Welcome to the show. Super excited to talk about today's topic. Um, what we'll be going over is quality of life during and after cancer. Uh, and physical therapy's really relationship uh, with that process. Um, so uh, just a little bit of background. I know we went over this already. Uh, Sherry has 30 plus years of experience uh, in this space um, and has done a lot of uh, really amazing work in the cancer care uh, department, uh, really focusing on uh, getting patients quality of life before and after cancer um, higher up. So uh, to begin with, I'll, to start with our first question, what is cancer care at a high level? Um, I would love to give kind of that like a base starting point so that people can can uh, go from there. So uh, really, it's a, a multidisciplinary approach. It's a, a team of providers that all collaborate over a patient's care. So many times a patient gets diagnosed, whether it's through a mammogram for breast cancer or, um, you know, then resulting biopsy, et cetera. And um, usually, you know, maybe their OBGYN or their um, primary care physician um, referred them for that mammogram or referred them for the biopsy. Um, maybe they had an MRI, et cetera. And then um, a whole team um, comes on. So you have an oncologist, you have an oncological surgeon who's part of the team, you have um, uh, the radiation physician. So you have a whole group of people and physical therapy became a key part of this, um, you know, pre and post. So that um, preparation for what is coming um, from the resulting surgical intervention and then the resulting treatment of chemotherapy and radiation uh, therapy. So it's really such a um, team um, 
that happens and that we build together. So you really get relational with all the people that are surrounding a patient who's been diagnosed with cancer. That's wild. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like a lot of roles that are involved in that process. Um, From my understanding, uh, oncology care isn't taught in physical therapy schools, even though like 40% of Americans uh, will be diagnosed with cancer over their lifetime. That's crazy. So how did you learn about this and like incorporate it into your practice? Um, I started out in the orthopedic and sports uh, physical therapy arena. I was in private practice for many years, but about 25 years ago, um, a wonderful physician that I worked a lot with who was a neurosurgeon actually sent me a patient who had some physical impairments that were directly related to having breast cancer. And when she came into my office, she had something called lymphedema, which is a side effect of having lymph nodes removed, et cetera. And, you know, I didn't know what to do with her. You know, I'd never been trained in any of this work. I didn't even know what it was really. Um, And I knew that I couldn't let people suffer with this and then have these life altering changes. So literally, I went on a quest to figure out and try to understand how does physical therapy um, help? How do we intervene earlier so that we don't get these long term side effects? And that really started um, this whole progression. So really like self-taught sounds like on the job. I mean, again, I feel like with a lot of these specialties, it's so much just are you in the clinic, you know, with hands on patients? Um, What do you feel like is the biggest misunderstanding about cancer care? Yeah, I think that's kind of a natural or nice segue, uh, you know, based on what you just said. Yeah, so I think, you know, people are sort of, you know, now that we have so many um, so much so many better interventions for patients um, so we're discovering cancer earlier now because we have better technology so that we can discover earlier. Then we have way better inter- interventions um, from a chemotherapy, biologic interventions, um, immunotherapy drugs. So we're keeping our patients um, alive so much longer, which is wonderful. But we forgot about some of the side effects that happen because of these interventions, and they directly relate to physical impairment issues. And, you know, that's a physical therapist specialty is literally musculoskeletal um, um, care. And so those interventions, we need to be um, entering into the picture sooner. Uh, we know that if a patient starts on chemotherapy or radiation therapy, that within one to two months following, um, they will have literally musculoskeletal physical changes. And so that can be um, so discouraging to a patient and discouraging to their quality of life. And it ages them. Of course, these interventions oftentimes do. And so if we can um, be there and be part of that um, really early on in the cycle. So our, our goal really is to intervene as quickly as possible. They may see the oncologist and then they receive a referral from us. Um, I mean, a referral to us so that we can actually assess them musculoskeletally so we can decrease the likelihood of all of this. And I think people were told so long, hey, you just have to live with all these things. Hey, you're alive. What's your problem? Why are you worried about all these physical impairments? Well, it affected their quality of life and um, with their families. And so we want to now intervene quicker and um, sooner so that people don't have to live with those. We realized a lot of this was preventative um, work. It's just that people didn't understand and know 
um, how to intervene. Um, exercise now, they're, they're realizing, you know, when you and I exercise, whether it's aerobically or um, strength training, that our body produces myokines and myokines actually decrease infl inflammation. So they help people be healthy, healthier. Totally. Um, so talk to me about managing pain during cancer treatment. Um, I know that's a, a you know a huge part of what the physical therapist's role is in the greater picture. Um, I'd, I'd love to learn more about that. So they really think that about 30 to 50% of all cancer patients, um, it wouldn't matter what um, diagnosis they had been um, seen for, um, with oncology issues, but 30 to 50% of them will have some sort of um, pain pattern. And um, that ensuing pain pattern of that 30 to 50%, a lot, um, then they'll have maybe 60 to 75% of those people then have life enduring changes that, um, Ha, you know, facilitate pain for the rest of their life. So our job as physical therapists is to actually get in there and try to mitigate pain patterns and um, help them sort of um, restructure systems. And if systems aren't working well, whether it's a lymphatic system because lymph nodes are rem removed or where there's radiation to um, tissue. I, I have a lady right now, um, she had ethmoid cancer, which is, you know, up in her sinus region here. And um, it's really interesting because her whole face just filled up with lymphedema. She had radiation um, scarring that occurred, and she really couldn't chew or swallow very well. She really couldn't function. And thank goodness, you know, a friend of a friend told her, hey, you need to see a physical therapist. And literally in one visit, she came back to me and said, oh, my gosh, I'm feeling so much better. Three visits later, now she can chew without pain. So we're just looking at the practical, everyday aspects of how does a um, physical therapist intervene uh, musculoskeletally, we know the system better than any other healthcare provider just because that's our focus. So we're really reaching out to our cancer centers, our oncologists, our radiation um, physicians to actually say, hey, let us be part of this and let us intervene quickly and soon in the progression pattern so that we can make a difference for people long term. Totally. Um, I, I, you said this to me once and I thought it was really powerful. Uh, it's like the physician's job is to keep you alive. Uh, and the physical therapist's job is to make sure your quality of life, you know, during the process and then after the process is as high as it can be. Um, do you, could you talk more about that? Yeah, I, I really feel like that is, um, a whole piece of the puzzle that probably physical therapists don't really understand even because in uh, at university level, we're really not taught really how to intervene um, with cancer care and everybody gets afraid of a patient, you know, with cancer. Oh, I don't know what to do with them. But they're really no different than any other orthopedic patient that you and I would ever see you know, you're going to evaluate people for what their muscle function looks like, how much um, mobility do they have, do they have swelling, edema in a region um, that's actually um, prohibiting them from doing activity or doing things that they need to do every day. So our qu questions oftentimes are pretty basic. You know, um, if you, um, you know, 
Can you get up and down off the floor? Um, can you kneel to the floor and stand? Can you, you know, chew, sing, um, <laughs> swallow? You know, these things are practical things, but these are the things that we're looking at constantly to say, hey, everyone should be able to do that. Uh, I had a woman who had lung cancer and basically she said to me, oh, you mean if I got down on the floor, I should be able to get back up off the floor? And I said, absolutely, 100%. And she said, well, I thought because I had this cancer that I shouldn't expect to have a higher quality of life as I had before cancer. And I'm not sure exactly how our society has sort of um, told people that's the way we should live after we have cancer. And I guess our quest is really to have more and more physical therapists and more and more physicians understand that our interventions quickly and early on can prevent long-term health issues um, that are side effects of, you know, um, treatment. And that way, then the fact that we're, you know, have this great technology to care for people and give them a longer quality of um, a longer uh, term of life, but we want them to have quality of life um, during that time frame. So we're just trying to get that information out there and share that and kind of take away that stigma and taboo of like, oh, well, we don't know what to do with the cancer patient. We're afraid to touch them. We don't um, know what, um, how, how do we treat them? And I want the therapists as well as the physicians to understand we're just not treating people for lymphedema, you know, which is um, swelling after node removal um, that can happen after cancer. But we're treating people orthopedically. Hey, can they walk, you know, 60 minutes a day? Uh, you know, can they, you know, go to the garden with their kids and work in the garden for two hours? You know, do they have the stamina and endurance to do those t um, types of things? So that's what we're looking at. And we actually have a little app that um, screens um, patients. So they answer questions to say, hey, do you have a higher, high enough quality of life? And that app screening has been a super um, tool for people to actually look at to decide like, oh, well, I could do half the things on the list, but I couldn't do the other half. Well, you should be able to do all those things on the list. And that's what we're after is um, setting our expectations really high and the bar high for return to lifestyle. If they want to kayak, we want them to be able to do that. So let's let's do the things that need to be done and don't expect them to um, sit at home in their easy chair. Totally. Uh, so you mentioned the lymph system and its relationship to the cancer care process. Could you could you go a little bit deeper on on really just the lymph system and then also uh, your expertise in that? So the lymph system becomes an integral part um, during cancer treatment because, you know, if there's lymph nodes involvement, um, you know, in, in breast cancer in particular, you know, they do testing to figure out how many lymph nodes they think are involved and how many lymph nodes they'll remove. Sometimes it's only sentinel nodes, which can be, you know, one to almost five nodes. Um, then they can do a full axillary dissection where they take all the nodes in the lymph system there because they're afraid maybe they, um, you know, have cancer um, there. So they remove them all. And the, the idea of the lymph system is that it's the drain system um, for us to be able to take out all the waste products out of the body. And so you can imagine if suddenly I remove the collection of where all that toxic waste comes, then where does all that fluid go? And fluid can back up in regions where I've removed a lot of lymph nodes. So if I remove a lot of lymph nodes out of an axillary pocket, 
And, you know, it's debatable how many nodes are actually in there. You know, some people say 15, some people say, oh, there was 35 in there. It doesn't really matter. The moment I remove nodes or I radiate tissue over where those nodes are, I create a sluggishness in the ability for the drain to happen. So if you can imagine the lymph system, you know, you have epidermis, dermal layer of the skin. My lymph system sits right underneath the epidermis and dermal layer of the skin. And the muscle sort of sandwiches in between where the majority of that lymph flow happens. So if you can ma imagine, it's almost like a shag carpet. You know, I pull, you know, those shag, you know, that pulling of the lymph fluid, and then it needs to drain in its system. Well, if I block a drain because I take nodes away, then I'm gonna get backlog into the arm. And then I create dysfunction in the arm because all of a sudden now I have an arm that's edematous all the time. So what happens is, you know, PT and those of us who have specialized in it, and I'm a, lymph a lymphedema certified specialist, but when you specialize in that work, you know how to reroute the drain system. So you reroute the drain system around where you lose that nodal pattern. And it can happen in any surgical procedure, regardless of whether it's an oncological surgical procedure or not. If I mess with where lymph nodes are and their drainage systems lie, then I, I can create problems, you know, with this backlog of fluid. So our job then is to understand and to know that to prevent that load or accumulation of fluid in a particular region. And it doesn't matter whether I remove one node or 20 nodes. Um, anytime I mess with the way a system drains, and that could mean that it's just where I put my scar line. So when physicians are actually doing scar lines, um, that's a significant component too, because some of these scar lines then block the drainage of where um, the fluid that naturally occurs in our body every day um, happens. So I'll give you an example. If I have a scar line on a breast that's very low in the breast tissue, then that whole breast should drain normally up into the axillary pocket. But if all of a sudden I have a scar line that's large, then I decrease the ability for that drainage pattern to happen. And now I might have pulling and fullness in the inferior pocket of a breast area just from a scar line, even if they had no nodes removed. So scars and the position of scars um, can affect drainage patterns. And we know where main node drainage patterns are. And so we then facilitate to um, sort of reroute that whole system. So if you can imagine every day fluid in should meet fluid out. Well, if all of a sudden I take nodes away, I all of a sudden have this increase in fluid load. And now I have to figure out, well, where is that fluid going to go? Because I don't have the normal uptake of those fluid of that fluid if I remove a whole section of nodes from an area. Super interesting. I, I always blows my mind that you can reroute how the lymph system works and almost like you know to give a terrible analogy for it, like lay new pipe for it um, for that for the body you're working with. So um, what's crazy is they actually think that the system actually does reroute itself. It literally lays new pipe, which is. Such an amazing thing that our body is made like that, that it actually could relay down how um, a system should drain. Um, but remember, the, the tissue that's in that system, remember, that's the waste product. 
and it's protein rich fluid and it's not fluid that I can draw up through a needle. So I can get infected in an area with fluid that's hanging in an area and it, it's toxic fluid, it's protein rich. And the problem is, is that the only way to get it out is to what? Is to actually massage it out to get it out. So there's techniques that you use in order to facilitate um, the rerouting of the drain system. Super interesting. Um, so I read recently, uh, there's a higher likelihood for psychosocial and physical impairments um, that people navigate when they go through cancer. Um, it, it, it was something crazy, like three times the likelihood reporting of poor health or fair or poor health and, uh, or not good health uh, than somebody who hasn't gone through cancer. Um, so how does, how does PT help with that, um, both on the psychological and the, the physical uh, you know, challenges that people face? What's really interesting is that I think in the, you know, first time frame when someone's um, diagnosed with cancer, breast cancer, whatever type of cancer it is, is that, you know, we're so focused on, you know, um, uh, treatment, keeping them alive, you know, chemotherapy, all of our interventions. And the patient is um, hypervigilant, of course, with that, as expected. The problem is, is that we forget that they're a person and that, um their system sometimes begins to shut down and many of them have trouble sleeping. They become anxiety ridden. Um, they need, you know, medication or intervention or behavioral cogn cognitive therapy, but we're sort of forgetting that part of it. And so I think what's so great about us as physical therapists being able to intervene with them and, you know, our occupational therapists, our um, speech therapists intervene as well and uh, for our oncology patients too. Um, but being in that rehabilitation space, we're well aware and acquainted with what loss means, physical changes, physical loss. And we realize that a whole grieving process happens um, when somebody experiences um, cancer. And so what happens is we can become a support system for them. And then we're intervening and we're speaking to all of their providers many times on their behalf saying, hey, like this patient um, might need a little help in this arena. Or, you know, one time I had a patient who was literally on a chemotherapy drug and, you know, had never been um, incontinent in her whole life and all of a sudden comes in and is completely incontinent. And she's at nearing the end of her, um, of her chemotherapy um, um, in, infusions. And she's like, Sherry, all of a sudden I'm completely incontinent. I don't know what to do. And she had just seen the physician. I said, well, why didn't you tell the physician? Oh no, I, I want to get better. Like I, I need to do everything do you know what I mean? I need to do to get better. She was afraid to share with a physician that, oh my gosh, this is probably too much. Now I'm completely incontinent. And she didn't understand that, hey, sometimes it's too much for the system and you might have to sit back and wait a couple of weeks or, or maybe you've had enough and your system's kind of saying that's the case. But she didn't know how to interact with her physician in that way. She didn't know how to talk to him, didn't know how to say, hey, like I, I'm not sure what to do with all of this. And so it was so important, I think, that she had her relationship with us because then we could turn around and help on her part and kind of help her have the words and um, the strength she needed to be able to talk for herself to her physicians and to even her family system about what she was going through. 
Uh, I think that psychosocial piece a lot of times doesn't hit a lot of my patients until their second year. So in other words, they go through that whole year of cancer care. They survive. They suddenly have been diagnosed with no more cancer. They're cancer-free. We're all celebrating. And then all of a sudden, that second year, it hits them. And many times I see my patients come back in that second year because they need that psychosocial support to keep moving forward in their musculoskeletal health too, but in the whole psychosocial realm, because the world expects them just to walk back into their life exactly like they were before. And you know what? They're not exactly like they were before. There's things that have changed in their systems and psychosocially especially. And so many of them choose to not want to enter their life as their life looked before and their surrounding families kind of can understand it. Wow, you live, look, you're, you're alive, you made it, you were such a warrior. And yet they then choose to say, hey, you know, they've been at the bottom of the barrel. I need to have a higher quality of life, not only in the physical realm, but also in the psychosocial realm. Totally. And it's hard yeah. to accept. It's really hard to accept for many families because suddenly the person they loved has changed. So uh, many times we're supporting them in the middle of all of that and helping them understand grief and loss and all the steps of it. You know, they go through anger and frustration, just like with any loss. And then it helps them come out the other side after that second year, many times so much um, more healthy and so much um, more vibrant because they've really chose to live um, their life in a different way now. Absolutely. Um, so uh, to wrap up, I, I always like to ask you, what research do you feel like, um, you know, every woman should know about cancer care um, and, and things that you wish were more common knowledge? I think the craziest thing, I think when I first started working in the cancer arena, I think we were so delicate with a cancer patient that, oh, you know, we didn't want them doing too much of anything in the physical realm. And now when I look at all the research data, it's just crazy when you see the data actually showing. Um, I, there was a study out of the UK that came out a few years back. Um, it was comparing breast cancer patients who were on tamoxifen and those who were actually exercising an hour a day uh, with reoccurrence rates. And it was crazy because the reoccurrence rates actually um, went way down with those who were actually exercising. And it shocked me, and I ended up speaking to one of my primary care physicians who I work with a lot, and he said, yeah, Sherry, he said, it's kind of crazy. He said, I saw the study, too, and he said, um, there's no money in teaching people exercise. And I said, oh, that's an interesting idea. And so because of that, then I started doing all kinds of research about like, oh, well, what kind of exercise and how soon do we start exercising and how are we pushing the patient during chemo and radiation and how much should we do, et cetera. And I started learning so many of the key um, pieces that I needed to understand that really we needed to start exercise right away, aerobic and strength training exercises. And we modify it accordingly to where they are in their cycling process. And my goal is long-term is to even understand better that like maybe I have a breast cancer patient and um, she's on this particular regime of medication 
and we learn exactly where we should intervene and how much we should give. And then maybe we have to drop off in the cycle a bit because, you know, they get a little bit under the bus and get exhausted. But I'd like to be able to even um, know more about how to track because of different progressions of chemotherapy and immunotherapy type of drugs, et cetera. But the bottom line is we know now that we have to intervene with exercise because, as I said before, exercise decreases all the inflammatory processes. And you don't want them overdoing it, but you don't want them doing nothing either. And that's, I think, the key. I think that research sort of changed my mindset. Instead of being so delicate, and I mean, we are delicate, of course, but instead of being so delicate and saying, oh, well, we don't know what to do, we know what to do now. We know how to intervene. We know how to cycle a patient if they're overloaded at a particular time. You know, they might have an infusion and maybe we don't see them for three days. You know, their third day, then they're back in the office again, or their third day, maybe they're exercising. So we create routines with our patients so that they're well aware and they understand, oh, I'm safe to do this. And I think that's what we didn't really understand before. And now this research data is coming forward and we're really getting a better picture. And again, as I said, you know, when you're a PT and you know and understand the musculoskeletal system, this is really our neck of the woods, and we're just going to really work hard in this arena of oncology care to really provide better quality of life for people long term. Totally. That's, a, I think, an awesome place uh, to uh, end the show. Uh, again, always super informative and so valuable. Uh, thank you to everybody who joined us today. Uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, Sherry. Thanks.